Mavs fans for Life Podcast. I am your host, Landon Thomas. I am joined by a fellow Mavs a media member, Ian Kayanja. We are going to be talking about... What was that? Yeah, I was just in, in making my presence known, making my presence felt. Okay, I, I, heard, I heard something. I, I, I was just making sure, making sure you're awake over there. Okay, so we'll be talking today about where does Luca rank amongst the MVP candidates, and what does it mean? to be the MVP of this league. What is the criteria? And then we'll also be previewing tonight's game, the Mavericks against the Cleveland Cavaliers. So Ian, so MVP talk, um, you know, NBA.com, they, they come out with what a weekly MVP ladder and the latest MVP ladder, they had Jason Tatum, number one, um, Giannis, number two, Luka, number three, Jokic, number four, and I'll just round out the top five, Ja Morant, number five. So this was a few days ago, and they do this weekly, and I will note that this is and NBA.com writer perspective. This is not the league perspective on who is running right now for the MVP, but just first, Ian, let's just talk about what do you think the NBA's criteria first is? This is a great question um, because I honestly think there is no real criteria. It comes down to whatever the writer's (laughs) that get to vote and the media members that get to vote on this stuff are feeling that year. In recent years, um, with the Jokic MVPs, we've seen them not really care about win total anymore and choose to go for the guy that has the most impressive stats. And so arguably you can say that if we're going off of the how it used to be a narrative-driven award, then Embiid should have won it in one of those two years. But but Jokic did. Yeah. And, and and so here we are, um, where I don't think anyone really knows w- how to win the award or the check marks you have to reach. I mean, there, there's a rough estimate, um, and but for the league and, and the people it has voting, I very much think that it's whoever is hot in the final two months of the season and has a lot of nationally televised games. That's when all of a sudden everybody is like, you you start to see these surges because I remember when Jokic was going to win it uh, the first time, and I believe the Bucks had a slew of nationally televised games, and then all of a sudden it was should Giannis be in the MVP conversation? And so everyone, you know, everyone's like, oh, everyone's streaming NBA games. I still think how many nationally televised games you have matters when it comes to getting those votes. Um, it's why. Uh, the Lakers-Celtics game matters so much for Tatum's MVP bid. Everybody was watching. Mm-hmm. Everybody saw him outduel LeBron and company, and the Lakers came back, but then Tatum made a series of clutch shots. Like Those types of moments that get crystallized in voters' minds matter. 
Um, and so if there is a criteria, it's that. Just be hot when you have your nationally televised games and people will think you're 10 times better. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And this is so sad to me. Um, it, it's a touchy subject to me as well because I think you're right. I think that is honestly what wins you the MVP be hot at the right time. And that's what people remember the most, what they remember the latest and what the latest is who's playing hot and who's the best player at that given time. And it's kind of weird because you see it not only in MVP races, you also see it in just the season overall, just the progression of the season overall. Like, how many times have we heard Jason Kidd say, it's still early. Oh, it's it's only it's only 20 games. Or we're only, you know, he says that so, so much. And it kind of makes me think that's how the MVP is. Because, like you said, it's who's hot at the right time. Because Joel Embiid, I mean, in his MVP campaign... He was the leading MVP um, front runner for what the first half of the season, and then Jokic came on the last half of the season and he won it. Even though Yo um, Embiid's first half was just as dominant, if not more, than Jokic's second half. The best way to think about the award, I I mm -hmm. summarize it like this: the voters that vote on the award, it's what have you done for me lately. And yeah. that's the only thing they think about. Um, it's why I, to this day, I'm still confused. Um, I, and it happens with awards unilaterally across uh, the NBA. But when Jalen Green um, made, uh, it, it, I think it was one of those all rookie teams. And I didn't think that he deserved it because he was like objectively a bad basketball player on a bad team until the last month and a half of the season. And based off of about five weeks worth of games, people put him, gave him rookie of the year votes, put him on all these all rookie teams, etc. And then this season, we've seen a bit of that regression back to what he was for three fourths of the year. But that's the nature of these awards. It's what have you done for me lately? If you have a great five week stretch in the last, you know, chunk of the season, People are going to be like, they're going to project that over your entire season. And it's so it's so weird how, you know, you and I are very cognizant of it. And and um, we, we, we like to, to talk about it a lot where it's like everybody in the league will say it's still early. Teams are figuring themselves out. But how many times have we seen seeding a playoff race come down to a game you lost in December or in November and and, you know, no one really thinks that these games matter when, in fact, they do. And the same thing happens with the awards. It's like everyone's like, it's still early. It's still early. But you're, you know, nearly at the 30 game mark. And, and so I think you have a good body of work to see who's trending in the right direction. And I just wish that the voters of the award would take into account how somebody starts the season, because that tells you how prepared they were 
You you should have just taken yeah. into account everything post All Star break. I think that what matters is an MVP campaign to me should talk about how well you started the season, showing that you were preparing over the off season and you added something to your game, and then that sustained level of play gives me uh, the the idea that okay, this wasn't just a hot run, but you did it over the course of an entire season. You played over 70 games. That's kind of my benchmark. I think you need to play at least 70 games to be a league MVP. Um, and, and then after that, you need to impact winning. If you do those things, then I'm like, okay, I can't hate that MVP selection. The MVP selections I don't like are the ones that are solely based off of someone's you know, two-month run at the end of the year. Yeah, and and it's tough because when you look at just the last half of the season, you're really negating the overall work, like you said. And then the other point, every single game matters. And it's tough when you hear, like, Jason Kidd, you hear – so many it's not just him. You see you hear so many coaches, oh, it's still early. We're just trying to figure it out. Um, it's still early. We got plenty of time. It's not even Christmas yet. Like you said, these games matter. I mean, it's they play twenty seven games. That's that's that, that's a good portion of the season where they do matter. I mean, even one game matters because you're going to look back at the end of the season and say, why did we lose these games? Now we're in the play in or why did we lose this games? Now we're the fifth seed instead of the second seed. I mean, because the, the West is so tight where at the end of the season, it's going to it's going to be a few game separation from the top, you know, um, maybe the third seed in the sixth seed. I mean, that's how close it is right now. And it it shows that these games matter because Luka Doncic is posting MVP numbers. He's posting better than MVP numbers, and he's not a front runner right now because they're not winning games, and that's why these games do matter because he's averaging thirty three points, um eight um eight and a half rebounds, almost nine assists, and he's. He's having the best field goal percentage of his career. He's he's shooting 50%. And you know how many shots he takes. He's shooting 50%. And he's slowly getting his three-point percentage up. He's at 34 right now. So it's creeping up. And it's just sad to see because you're having an all-time season. How many times have we seen... Luca ties um, Oscar Robinson. Luca ties um, Dirk for a franchise. Luca ties, you know, all these greats. He's um, in comparative to Michael Jordan with his run that he's having right now. He's he's on a run um, that hasn't been done since James Harden's MVP season. I mean, we hear records almost every single game, and this and these games matter because. He should be the front runner if you look at the stats, but honestly, it's it's Tatum right now. It's Tatum and then Jokic, and then maybe you can put Luca up there, but they have to win games. 
So my next question to you, Ian, is we just discussed what we think the NBA collectively, because um, we're media, we're Mavericks media members, but what do the the media voters um, think on selecting the MVP? But now, what do you think? should be the criteria i know you said 70 games but there are like a few things on your criteria to be an mvp yeah so to me it's you one play a minimum of 70 games like that's the benchmark where i'm like you just need to do that um Mm -hmm. in order to be the most valuable player on your team the second is you have to average over 25 points per game and then So that takes out Jokic. Exactly. Because mm. in my in my opinion, this year, he isn't the MVP. Part of that is he's gotten a lot of pieces back from injury. Um, and he does – and he do, he dominates the game no. in a different way. Um, and we don't want to see a three-peat. And, and there's a level of fatigue there, you know. And But then my, my last thing, and kind of the third prong can kind of trump the – minimum of 25 points per game is it do something historic um and do do that thing that's historic while leading um your team to winning at least 55 percent of its games um and so for for me that's why i never understood the the vitriol when russell westbrook won his mvp it's like he's he was the first person to average a triple double for the entire season since Oscar, like that to me and to do that. And, and his team was a top, top six team in the West, you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, of course that one wins the MVP. And then James Harden goes on that historic 40 point game streak. You remember the following year. And then that wins him MVP. It's the do yeah. something historic and lead your teams to critical wins while doing that one historic thing. That is kind of my recipe for an MVP run. Um, and then when, if something historic isn't necessarily happening, that's like monumental like that. Um, it's play 70 games, contribute to winning. You have to be averaging over 25 points per game while also doing something else on the floor, whether that is rebounding at a high rate or passing at a high rate or defending at a high rate. And then you can be in the conversation. And then from there, I do think that once you have that criteria set, then it comes down to the elements of the narrative, right? Of, you know, this is a player that, you know, from when they came in the league at 18 to now, we've seen them get better every single year. And I do still think there's a bit of that old school mentality when it comes to the award that sometimes players don't win it because some of the voters think, oh, it's not their time yet. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, like, think about it like this way. Gian- Giannis has been been talked about as uh, maybe an MVP candidate, but I think very few have actually seriously considered him one this year when he's like hitting the highest usage rate of his career. He has the ball in his hands the most. Um he's ever had it uh and he's just churning out another historic year and the bucks are winning but it's like yeah Giannis had his moment like the novelty of how dominant he is has worn off like we're just used to him putting up 
30 and 15 versus when he was doing that, you know, three years ago, four years ago, it was like, this is unbelievable. And so I always think that's interesting, like how the novelty of a player's dominance wears off as well. And so that I think that's kind of the recipe for the MVP is like it has to be your year. Like the media just has to want to tell your story repeatedly. Um, You can't be too annoying or too in everybody's face. But what you're doing has to be historic. And then you have to have good, well-timed national TV games. And then once you do that, if you're averaging over 25 points per game, you play at least 70 games, and then you do something historic. You have a pretty good chance at the MVP. Okay. So that's your list for MVP. I think my list would be... I wonder... uh, on the games played, I wonder um, what the lowest games ever played in an 82-game season um, to win an MVP. That's interesting that you, that you said 70. Um, I think that's a good benchmark, um, 70. Because if you miss more than 12 games, that's, that's a lot in one season. Um, I think my next... Thing on the criteria would be to be at least a six seed, since that was set by Russell Westbrook. But I think it really should be a fifth seed, um, unless you're doing something crazy, like you said, averaging triple double for the whole season. That was something that had to be. Uh, rewarded and also I think see this is tough because I think the most valuable player means you are the most valuable player on on a team throughout the whole league because let's just look at Jason Tatum let's look at Jokic let's look at Giannis I mean, honestly, when you look at the rest of their team and you look at what Luca's doing, it's not even it's not even similar. Like the dude is the most valuable player on his team by far. Like, did you watch that Bulls game? I mean, obviously you did. I'm just talking to everybody listening to this right now. Did y'all watch that Bulls game? I would have gave Luca the MVP trophy right there. I would it was hard to watch that game. It was very hard to watch that game. And it's it's evidence that he is the most valuable when you look at the term in a literal sense. When you have Jalen Brown, you have the the quality on that team is bar none. I mean, you have Marcus Smart, you have Malcolm Brogdon, you have Robert Williams. Obviously, he's injured, but he's coming back soon. Al Horford, the list goes on. Even quality role players like Derek White, Grant Williams. I mean, the the list goes on. And then the Nuggets are good, too. They have um, Jamal Murray, uh, um, you know, um, 
Porter Jr., Bruce Brown. They got um, KCP. They got some quality. Aaron Gordon. I mean, they got some quality players over there, too. And then, obviously, um, I told you, Chris Middleton, I like him a lot. Drew Holiday, I mean. Landon, sorry to interject. But the, the, to, to answer your question, I tracked down that stat for you. Carl yes. Malone won the MVP in 1998 to 99, playing 49 games, but that was the lockout shortened. Season. Lockout, yeah. Mm. So would you okay. count that as because he still appeared in like 99 percent of his team's games? Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Um, dang, okay. The shortest in an 82 game season, Bill Walton at 58. Dang, <laughs> fifty-eight. Dang, <laughs> my goodness! That year he averaged eighteen, thirteen rebounds, five assists, a steal, and two and a half blocks. Fifty-eight. Wow, an eighty-two game season. That's way off in the seventy mark. But wow. Okay, thanks for that stat. So. And then when I get to Luca's teammates, I mean, obviously there's no comparison to the teammates. I mean, that the players I just listed have on their team. So Ian, why, why don't you think the NBA, Obviously, Luca Luca has to win games. I mean, you can't be fourteen and thirteen, um, but what do you think? is the reason why the NBA doesn't look at the quality of teammates um, when they factor in the MVP of the season. What do you think that is? I think the NBA does factor that in because – you think so? I mean, they gave the award to Jokic twice because... Okay, so they gotten better then. Yeah, I think in recent years it's gotten better. But even still, like, I mean, when Kobe had his one MVP year where he his roster was a bag of bones, they gave it to him then. I just think it's easier <laughs> to um, fall in love with the MVP that's on the best team, because oftentimes it feeds into that loop of the teams with the best records get a whole bunch of nationally televised games. And these voters see these guys a lot. And I think it creates a feedback loop where, of course, this guy's the MVP. You see what he's doing. But meanwhile, uh, the, the Mavs are on Bally Sports. And so maybe it's not factored in as much. And that's why you oftentimes have to do something historic if your team's going to be a hovering around 500 ball club. You have to do something historic because then that brings eyeballs to your team versus if you're a team like Boston or L.A. or heck, have let someone average 25 and 8 for the New York Knicks and they will be backing up the Brinks trucks on the MVP conversation. (laughs) That's the nature of it. Like, the the NBA loves its coasts. I mean, 
I, I admit the league is fun when the Lakers are competitive, when the Knicks are competitive, when Boston's competitive. But that's the nature of the game. Everybody else is kind of caught in the middle where you're either really good or you have to do something historic. Uh, think about when LeBron won his first MVP in Cleveland. That roster, talk about a bag of air. That roster. But it was because LeBron led them to 60 wins and was doing something that people hadn't seen before. And but I think that's what it comes down to wins because Luca is doing things we haven't seen, um, you know, since Oscar, since Jordan, and since some of these, since Dirk, um, since some of these greats. He's just 14 and 13. Do you think if, let's just play the what if game, you know, just like um, Cuban did with the free throws, you know, what if, uh, what if the Mavs were, you know, um, the fifth, the fifth seed right now, and he has the same exact stats that they have, if they made those free throws, do you, do you think he would be the number one front runner for MVP right now? I say yes. Um, Okay. And to me, I find it to be a simple equation is that the losing for Luca has labeled him a Harden, where people mm. believe that he's out there to get his numbers, you know, wins and losses be damned. That doesn't mean that Luca doesn't want to win, but it's just that. People, uh, I think people that don't watch the Mavs every single day like we do have the assumption, oh, you know, Luca wants to get his 30 points and he gets his assist by only passing to get the assist instead of passing within the flow of the offense. And so I think they have yeah. those assumptions about him. And then when they see the losses, then they're like, see, he doesn't play a winning brand of basketball. It's just James Harden 2.0. Um, and we've seen that before. So though um, he's doing things that we haven't seen since Oscar or Michael Jordan or all these other greats, people feel like they've seen that before because they're like, oh, he's just James Harden reincarnated. And that's mm. actually hurting his MVP chances, I think. You make a good point there. So in transition to the that point, what does it take for Luca to win MVP? Like, obviously, we said just win more games. I mean, <laughs> that's the easy answer. But, like, is it as big of an issue as roster construction? Or is it as big of an issue as, um, you know, front office having – their love for the players that they have on the team. Um, but what do you think it is for Luca to be catapult um, catapulted into the upper echelon of um, MVP front runners? Like if you just look at the the you past know, few winners, I have I have this crazy assumption that Luca's mm -hmm. MVP year isn't going to be a year where he averages a near 30-point triple-double. I think it'll be mm. a year where he averages, you know, 25 and 12 assists. I think that'll be the year that he wins MVP. 
where he has that running mate to pass to. Um, and that will be the best version of Luka because he'll still have energy left over to play defense. And that's another part that's hurting him. People don't see him as a defender. Um, and you know, I'll admit, like, Luka isn't, you know, he's not, he's no prime Tony Allen on the defensive end. Um, he's not as bad as people label him out to be. Uh, but he's also, since he's responsible for <laughs> dang near every Mavs offensive point that they put on the board, it's kind of hard to muster the moxie to defend at a high level. But I think Luka's MVP year will be that 24 and a half, 25 points, 11 and a half assists type of year, um, where he kind of puts together this complete package of, if you need me to close the game out scoring, I can. If you need me to close the game out by, you know, passing the ball, I can. Um, if you need me to close the game out uh, on the defensive end and closing out defensive possessions with defensive rebounds, I can. That will be the MVP year versus this year, which seems like it's a it feels like a transition year. So the Mavs are saying might as well let Luca put up crazy numbers and and just go with it. Yeah, and that's the problem because they expected Luca to do what he's doing now, but they also expected the role players to make their shots like they did in the playoffs, and that's that's what's hurting them. I, I tweeted this out. I, it's hurting them big time in the grand scheme of things is they're banking all of their success, and I know we mention it all the time, not just you and I, I'm talking just um, media as a whole. They just came off a Western Conference Finals run. But they're banking their success on their role players. And that's a bad strategy. Yes, they have a couple good, two, maybe two or three good role players. I mean, um, Spencer Dinwiddie and Christian Wood. I mean, maybe Dorian Finney-Smith. Those are Good role players, especially when they are on, they are on. But banking your success on Dorian making all his shots, Reggie making his shots, um, Maxi making his shots, Hardaway making his shots, um, you know, all these players just making shots every night. It's not going to happen. I mean, we see it now. And like you said, Luka is making passes in the flow of the offense and they're missing shots. Um, and then that gives the the stigma of, oh, he's chasing stats when he's really not. Um, but Landon, bring in, the, bring in up your point, I just to illustrate it a bit more, I think that to add some color to this conversation, um, I'm reading yeah. this book. It's called The Last Hero by Howard Bryant. Anyone that hasn't read it, please read it. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a biography of Henry Aaron's life. Henry Hank Aaron, the Hall of Fame baseball player, died, I think, in 2020. Um, very good book. Bryant, Howard Bryant's one of the best writers of um, you know, his generation. But in that book, it, the year is uh, 1957, uh, and the Milwaukee Braves the year before were fighting for the pennant 
they were in a pennant race with the Dodgers, and it was Jackie Robinson's last year in 56. And in that pennant race with the Dodgers, the Braves were leading all year, and then they had a September meltdown, right? And and they lose series that they should have won. The Dodgers end up winning the National League pennant, going on to play in the World Series, and, and losing. Um, mm-hmm. But what happened in ni- 1957 is that the Braves wanted to avenge that loss and they go on a tear the entire year um until one of their leading uh home run hitters gets hurt breaks his leg and so henry aaron is he he's you know he's gonna win the triple crown um and so they call up a guy from the minor leagues to make up for the guy they lost to a broken leg and this guy from Mm -hmm. the minor leagues i think his name was hazel hazel but he goes on a tear like he's batting in the upper 300s, getting clutch hit after clutch hit, and he win helps win the Braves the pennant in 57. And but want to know what the Braves did? The Braves didn't give him a four-year contract extension. They recognized he was just a role player that got hot at the time that could help the team, but he wasn't someone you build a dynasty around. And it's that, yes, he got hot at the right time, but the Braves won that pennant because of Henry Aaron, too. And I think that's, to, to relate it to the Mavs situation in this story, it's that the Mavs made the Western Conference Finals majority, mostly because of Luka. And, and yeah. they had their minor leaguers, their role players, get some make some timely buckets, man. And... Then, But you don't marry yourself to those guys. You recognize that they help your team, they helped your team win, but you need better people to win consistently. And if you want your star to ever get league recognition, he needs to play with better players. Mm. And you can't, you, you can't get married to the idea of the role player getting hot and thinking that's going to win you a championship, both in baseball and in basketball. Both are extremely long seasons. And, you know, in each season, role players are prone to getting hot for months, stretches at a time. But if role players getting hot is your recipe for victory and that when they're not hot, you turn into a 500 ball club, to me that shows you have an error in your process. If... yeah. If it comes down to, well, if we just make five more free throws, we have five more wins. That means your process is flawed. Because you don't have the players that can make those free throws in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, preach. I mean, you said it You said it well. You sell it. You, you justified it. And, and that's absolute truth. I mean, when you look at this team. And th- that's what it really boils down to. I mean, and it, it's not it's not the fact that get um, get better players in terms of get another All NBA, get another top All Star. It's just get better players on the roster. Like when you look at the past few years, when you look at how the Mavs surrounded Luka Doncic, they they surrounded him with specialty players. They surrounded him with three and D guys. They surrounded him with defenders. They surrounded him um, with just shooters. Just bringing talent. Like, I don't care who it is. I don't care 
if you you're worried that the fit might not mesh with Luca, just bring in talent. He can he'll 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 find a way to make it work if you're bringing in talent. That's if you're showing him that hey, we're all in this. We're invested in winning now. We're invested in bringing players now, and that's how you need to be. I, I, I was getting, I was seeing a trend when you, they did trade Boban. Yes, he's at the end of the bench. He didn't play, but he was Luca's best friend. So, I mean, it's it's small when you look at it, but when you look at the grand scheme of things, I thought there was going to be a trend where, hey, we're we can trade Luca's friends um, because he was sad about that trade. Like he was sad, he was more sad about Boban than Kristaps. I mean, when you when you think about it, so I was looking forward to seeing them say, "Hey, we love we love these players, but we can trade a Maxi." We can trade a pal. We can trade, um, you know, some of these players because we're trying to win now. You can't. You can't get married to the average player on your roster, um, and that's what the Mavs have done. They've hitched their wagon to the Dorians and the Maxies and the White Powells, um, and they. It, it's that notion of like, it, it's like hoarding. If you ever see the show Extreme Hoarders, like where they have yeah. all this junk in their house and their house would be really beautiful if they just threw that junk out. Well, did you have you I know. Can you see, have you seen the before and afters? Exactly. I'll be like, dang, if they just cleaned up just one time a day, just one little article on the floor. Yes. Yes. And that's what happens. I think. These the, a lot of these guys they they helped the Mavs through a lot of those lean years, so they feel like this emotional obligation uh, to them to do right by them, and and I get it, but also other teams are treating this league like a business, and the Mavs are getting left behind making emotional decisions when they should be making business ones. Yes, Dwight Powell has been a longtime member of the organization, but you need a better starting center. Yes, Maxi has been a serviceable role player, but on championship contending teams, Maxi's an eighth, ninth man. And it's being able to admit that to yourself. Where Jay Crowder has been on the trade block since the season started. And that's somebody that could even add a different element to the team. At least a, a level of, of competence and toughness that a lot of Dallas's wings don't have. And so it's 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 those things. It's being willing to swing and miss. And like that's what for as maligned as Donnie was, that KP trade, he was at least swinging and seeing what could stick. It didn't work out. But I will take someone trying cuz when you think about it it makes sense. Like KP was a, a a young guy who Yes, he was hurt, but the potential was still there. And, and you see him now, like, after having two healthy offseasons, he's hooping in Washington. It, yeah. it just didn't work here, but at least they tried something. And there's been this stagnation and this marriage to the the middle, this, this acceptance of average, and then turning 
to your boy wonder in Luca and saying, but you will take our average parts and make them shine. Where eventually, as the lead maestro in this offense, you get tired. I mean, is it not every musician's dream to play in the best band in the world? At some point, you you outgrow your garage band. And that's a tale of the tape. You you want Luca to win awards? Put a team around him that will help him get there. Yeah, you said it best. We'll leave it at that because it's so obvious, too, because when the role players are making shots, they're like dominating good teams. And then when they're not making shots, which has been majority of the season, they're losing to like the worst teams in the league. Like it's not even just the top 15 teams. Like they're losing to the bottom five teams. So there, there needs to be some work done and it's going to be interesting in the next um, couple of months coming up, see what, see what they do. But I want to take this time to make sure y'all check out Chop Shop Victory Park right outside the AAC. Um, great food, great customer service. And great drinks as well. They have specials going on during home and road Mavs games. $5 Mavs shots and $5 Roller Town, the big German. So check out Chop Shop Victory Park right outside the AAC. So um, going off of that, Ian, the last topic of the day, the game tonight. I'm so excited to see this game tonight. Um they play the Cleveland Cavaliers. They're 17 and 11, um, second in the Central Division, and they are third in the Eastern Conference right now. Um, what are you most excited about this game? It, it, not just Mavs, just, it could be Cavs or just a mixture of both. What are you most looking forward to um, watching this game in the AAC? Well, these are two teams that have played in a bunch of close games already. And so that's what I'm excited to see. It's like you have two teams that play all the, they either play up or down to the level of their opponents, right? So maybe these two teams will finally meet in the middle. And, and I'm looking forward to watching Darius Garland versus Luca. And yeah, they won't be guarding each other, but I think it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. That point guard duo will be, will be worth the price of admission because, you know, Garland is, is a real special player. I love watching him play the game. Yeah, and I've said it too. Garland's on my top six, top seven players, um, favorite players to watch in person. Um, obviously a lot on TV, but just watching them in person, it, it it's, it's so much different because – the way they make some of these incredible moves is 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 mind boggling. And Darius Garland so fluid, so is one fluid. of those. Yes, and his vision is so underrated. Like yep. the media, national media always harps on his scoring, but his passing is one of. He's probably a top five, top six passer in this game. I have a theory uh, that um, if Steve Nash played in this era of the NBA, he'd look a lot more like Darius Garland than Trey Young. Because everyone likes to yeah. like, oh, Trey Young and Steph are kind of what Steve Nash should have been if he played in an era a little bit. No, I think he'd be closer to Darius Garland um, 
and and I just I, I love that backcourt. I love that Cleveland embraced the small backcourt, and then they just have a huge front court from in their forwards. And so it's like I, yeah. I like that mismatch, and and you kind of have to have that with how with how small their guards are. You need guys that can just swallow other guys at the rim, and <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you really do. Yeah, and and so it, and that's. I, I just they're a fun team and you know the Mavs you it's the same old same old for them and and so that's what I I look forward to in a lot of these games is seeing how the same old same old Mavs match up against these interesting teams that, that are doing things a bit differently because maybe that can give you and I some insight into when looking at the Mavs you know our perspective on how they should build and move forward. Because think about it, like Garland gets drafted to Cleveland and within, you know, four years of him being there, they built a contender around him. For guys like Zion, it's the same. Luka's the only one that doesn't have a real contending roster around him. And and so I think the that should tell you something, you know? And another another point guard who would be this this new era of Steve Nash's Halliburton too. Um, Garland and Halliburton, those are two two great guards. But um yeah, to go on your point, it is gonna be interesting. And those teams that you just mentioned, they go for it. And that's the problem. I think the KP trade at the time was good for the Mavs, but when you look at it, it set the team back and cause they went for it. Like you said, with that KP trade, and those are the type of trades that you make and you, you go for, and those are the type of things that the Cavs and the Pelicans and these teams that we talk about are doing. And that's why they're in a great position. But since it didn't work out and then the injuries while he was here and they traded him, it set the team back, even though they got Spencer, who's now the starting guard, but he started by default. You know, Brunson would still be starting if he if he was still with the Mavericks. So, and he would be probably the front runner for sixth man right now. But that's, he's a tweener. He's, he's a starter or a sixth man. I mean, he's a tweener. And that's what you're looking at. It really set this team back because Davis barely plays. Um, he, you know, he's he's one of those guys who are hit and miss as well with shooting, and he barely plays. So, And then you just brought up how he's playing with the Wizards. It makes you think it's an even bigger step back. And now they're in, they're in trouble financially. I don't know how they're going to move some of these pieces. And they're trying to keep their picks because you can't keep giving them away. You have to eventually build your youth on the team. Let's hope. Let's hope uh, Cuban wasn't in that FTX trade, <laughs> trading uh, situation. Yeah, because we know how much Cuban loves his cryptocurrencies. And <laughs> yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. I'm really looking forward to. Honestly, I think this. I think this needed to happen. I really think this needed to happen. I, I need. I think they needed to go 14 and 13 to start the season. Because it's opening eyes. It's opening eyes that banking on a top 
three player in this league with role players is not a sustainable strategy for it's contenders. It's not 2007 anymore. Teams are smart. You can't get away exactly. with one supernova and everybody else is just a sputter of light. You you can't you can't get away with that anymore. Um, yeah. And you're right. This this needed to happen so that for the first time, I think in a long time, there's actually pressure on the organization to improve because yeah. people people. I mean, you see it in your mentions on Twitter. People. The fans aren't happy, and, and they know that this team should be better. And I think they see yeah. the Zions and the Garlands and and all these other young guys that are getting competent teams around. The Tatums. The Tatums. They, they yeah. see the, a lot of these guys drafted around the same time as Luka and their teams being willing to push all the chips in the table because they know, okay, we have our star. Now it's time to go win. Um, and the Mavs really, really outside of that KP trade never did that. And and even still, I feel like that KP trade could have been salvaged if they would have that entire time. They could never find the right wing next to Luka and KP, that third wing. And And so it's like maybe that even could have been salvaged. If they say, you know, had a wing that that was a bit better than what Dorian was at the time. And, yeah. And if they actually used Jalen as a trade chip. Yep. Yep. And so that's where things are. But sometimes you have to look at the ugly in the mirror before you choose to fix it. Again, it's like that yeah. order show. Once once the trash is out of the house, they realize how bad it was. Yeah, and then also, just another thing that I'm looking forward to tonight is, like you said, how 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 they stack up against each other. Just the difference of the two. I mean, that's a small that's a small front line. Finney Smith, Tim Hardaway Jr., Finney Smith, and Powell against you know the, the Twin Towers of the calves. Um, that's That's going to be something that's really interesting to see, but the calves do have their struggles as well. You pointed out um, some of their struggles and they also play bad on the road. They're five and nine on the road. And then you look at the Mavericks. They always just find ways to be, to win games or be competitive at home. Um, they are 11 and four at home. So that's going to be interesting. So we'll see how they do tonight, but the Cavs are going to need this game. They just lost to the Spurs. So they're, they're going to be coming for, um, and you, you just mentioned the pressure on the Mavs. It seems like every single game they have to win because it's becoming to a point where um, national media, not just, Dallas media like us are talking about it, like national media are starting to talk about it. And it's, it's really weird because this contract just started. Um, that's the that's the odd thing because the extension literally just kicked in and and they're already talking about um, the losses and, and the Mavericks and the pressure around Luka. So, Ian, 
that is our episode for today. Always appreciate you um, as just a fellow media member around the arena and, and joining this pod as well. Just great conversations um, outside of your writing and my reporting. Uh, what, what, is your, what is your final words for this, uh, for this episode? Man, I, 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 I wasn't on last week, and I know it's a bit of late news, but um, I, I'm just thankful that Brittany Griner uh, made it made it back home safely. I can't yes. imagine. I can't imagine, you know, the, how hard that must have been. So, the, the, my final words are, are leaving on that on a positive note for all the craziness in the world and all the frustrations people may have. Um, they got Brittany Griner home. Um, and now they said they're working on getting Paul Whelan home. So he's next. Bring, bring that guy home. Well said. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>